Jaguars Digital. Jaguars, Jaguars Digital. Jaguars Drive Time. Brian Sexton. John Osher. Ashlyn Sullivan. Jaguars Drive Time starts right now. Good morning. Live look there at the Hartbridge Expressway on what looks like it's going to be a beautiful day in Northeast Florida. Welcome to Tuesday's Jaguars Drive Time on TuneIn Radio and across social media. Brian Sexton with our usual cast of characters, senior writer John Osier. We'll introduce you to Ashlyn Sullivan in a minute. Now, look, I know that last week at this very time, I said to you, hey, we're going to be on Wednesdays. Now we're going to be on Tuesdays. Which I think you said it on Wednesday. Did so I say it on Wednesdays? Time. Right. So yeah, you, I said we might. Yeah, it's now it's Tuesdays. It's so Tuesdays. you're all on notice. Jags drive time through the offseason. Tuesdays, 8.30, right here on TuneIn Radio. How are you? Oh, I'm terrific, Brian. I knew that. Yeah. I didn't really need to ask. Uh, you're getting ready to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and here's why I'm so terrific. I've got a week coming up of uh, talking about nothing but Tony Bissell. <laughs> and uh, writing about Tony Bissell on the website. So it's, uh, as I told our boss, Dan Edwards, yesterday, it's what Tony thinks the website always ought to be. I, because I, it'll be all Tony all the time. I think that's what he thought <laughs> so, it already was. Yes, yeah, that, I assume. The uh, third member of this merry band is Ashlyn Sullivan. You know her. Welcome her in at this point. Get started with big things. Hi, Ashlyn. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Nice to have you. Nice to, to be back. All right. Big thing number one, it's a big week for Tony Bozzelli, like we just said. One of 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Many people think Bozzelli, it is the year for him. But I know one thing, it gives Jaguars fans something to cheer about this offseason, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. And it sure seems like the momentum has built that this would be the year. Do you have a sense going into it? You know, I sense that it is, but that sense... I've talked to so many writers over the years who have sensed that it was a year for somebody where it's not. That I don't want to sit there all week and say it's it's the year, it's the year, it's the year. And then on Saturday, people be like, oh, what in the world happened? Because in the Hall of Fame, the bottom line, I thought about this a lot yesterday. Everybody wants a villain in a story. And if if Tony doesn't make it or somebody doesn't make it, then all of a sudden people want to get angry over, well, somebody kept them out. And I thought Tony last year, for a couple of days beforehand, put it in perspective well when he said, look, there's 15 guys, and five of them are going to get in the Hall of Fame. Well, the 10 who don't are the elite guys of their era, and they're incredible players. And there's somebody in you know, Arizona uh, f- uh, fighting just as hard for their guy as there are people fighting for Tony. So... I think he's got a good chance. The momentum looked very good last season. And from talking to guys with strong voices in the room, you get the idea that he has a good chance. But I don't know that there's ever a guarantee if you're not Tom Brady. You know, if, sure. If, if, Although when, when Tony was playing left tackle, we thought of him in those sure. terms. Yeah. The, you know, the Tom Brady of left tackles, one of the very yeah. best of all time. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the pivotal players in the room, the guys who move the thing along, are uh, Peter King, uh, Clark Judge, uh, Rick Oslin. You know, longtime NFL right, writers. Guys like, I mean, uh, certainly there is a group that has been around long enough where younger people who aren't quite as experienced in the process uh, might look to them and say, well, if 
if these guys feel strongly about this guy, even though I'm not as familiar with this guy's body of work, uh, I'll, I'll trust this guy and I'll say go along, but it has more weight than perhaps if, if somebody who had been in the room for two years did it. So, uh, yes, they're influential. And a lot of those guys, I believe strongly in Tony, um, at the same time, there's always six, seven, eight that have a really good chance. I think Tony's in a group of seven or eight that you feel like has a really good chance this year. You sense that there's a good chance that it falls in his favor. And I think at some point over a three or four year period, last year being one, him being in that situation, it's going to fall in his favor one year. Do you suppose that Terrell Davis getting in last year, and Terrell had four really good years, mm-hmm. four dynamic years uh, for the Denver Broncos, but four. And Tony had six Correct. right before the shoulders came in. I think Peter King mentioned this on one of his podcasts that I heard, uh, that he thought that that was a barometer in, in a positive direction. For Tony, you see it the same way? Well, it should be a barometer for all players who play a short period of time. Gail Sayers... Uh, seven seasons, Kansas Common. Uh, seven seasons, but really only four or five where he was absolutely spectacular. The highlight days. guy that we've all seen. But Gail Sayers played so long ago that I think there's been almost a hesitancy to have him be the barometer because I think people considered, well, he was such an outlier that you can't apply him to what's going on well, How now. about Dwight Stevenson then, who really Same only deal. played five years for Miami, but played at a Hall of Fame level when he played center for the Dolphins. Same deal. And, uh, you know... You mean same deal that he was so far away, so... No, same deal as Tony. Okay. I think Dwight Stevenson, Terrell Davis, now if you've got... you know, I've always thought Peter King did a good job of putting in perspective that if you can't write the history of the league without a guy, then he should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know if offensive linemen fall into that category of if you're going to read a history of the league, do you have to have every offensive lineman who's been great? But I think when writing the history of the offensive line position, if you got a bunch of great left tackles in in a room and they were all sitting around talking about who was the best, I think a lot of those players would talk about Tony Baselli being in, the, in that conversation, just tell which you. to me gets him in the Hall of Fame. Right, and I can just tell you, having stood on the stage 15 years ago, back when they did the Florida Sports Awards, Anthony Munoz came yep. down and presented an award and told me and a couple of other guys who were standing there, he put his hand on Tony's shoulder and said, you all, you all look at me as the best left tackle of all time. I look at him. Right, I remember Stood I, right there and said it. I remember I, it was 97, 98, well, one of those years I was walking through the uh, – the door where the players go out for the game. And right. I happened to be walking out there. I think I was going to the bathroom. And I looked over, and Anthony Munoz was in town for CBS or somebody. And he's just standing there. And I started talking to him, and he said the same thing. He said, this guy is the best. He's the prototype. He's, you know, a slightly bigger version of Anthony Munoz. Right. And people consider him the standard bearer of left tackle. So uh, point being... He has, after for some reason not being on the radar for a while, which has always struck me as strange, he's back on the radar, and it feels like he's still at the beginning of the trend of time that will eventually get him in the Hall of Fame. I think it's got a good chance to be this year. It's hard to ever guarantee that because once those doors close, 
you don't know what happens in the room. There's been guys who everybody thought, yes, was getting in, had to wait a year or two. I, I am more convinced after last year that he will get in at some point. Well, after what he did to Bruce Smith in that wild card playoff game in Buffalo in January, well, it was December of 96, mm-hmm. um, you, you believed, right? I mean, because sure. Bruce Smith, even though he wasn't still in his prime, he was still playing at a really high level. Yeah, he was pretty close he to his prime. He was 11 years still. in the league right. at that point. So, uh, pass rusher, 11. But he was still he, Bruce Smith. No, no, I agree. That's what I'm saying. But if people didn't believe it, then in November of 97, in comes Derek Thomas coming off a six-sacks performance, and he didn't get a tackle against Tony Baselli. So Baselli was showing it against Bruce Really Smith. didn't look like he was on the field. That no, day. no. Right. So, it was I'm dominant. Saying, and, and that was part of the sustained excellence that Tony brought to the table. Well, he did it so many against guys. Against the he very did, best. He did it to Jason Taylor, who got in the Hall of Fame. And I understand that you can't. You know, you can't decide the Hall of Fame based on, well, this guy had a great game against this guy. Oh, yeah. But but year to year to year, the right. best. The year to year consistency. Uh, you know, I I guess he gave up sacks. I don't remember very many that I watched him give up. I I I joked with him once. I said, I do remember once he gave up one against Dallas, and it was some obscure guy, and he said. Novak tripped me on that play. <laughs> so well, I, think, I think it was Novak. Think or somebody was, got under his feet. But I mean, in seven years, I think he was credited with nine sacks. Allowed. Right. It's an absurd. So, I mean, he was the best when he played. He's the left tackle on the All 90s team. He's the only. Everybody knows the stats. He's the only offensive player on the All 90s team not in the Hall of Fame. He was the phrase I like to use. He was the best left tackle in the golden era of left tackles. Oh yeah. If he had Orlando played three, Pace, four John more Hawk, years. You bet. He'd have Walter been a walk in first ballot. So, um, yeah, I think he's in that conversation of the top three or four guys ever to play the position. And if people have forgotten for that Monday night game against Jason Taylor, right? Who, again, a young stud pass rusher, uh, it was here on a Monday night, and the uh, the Monday night crew, the ABC crew, brought in a camera to ISO mm-hmm. Tony Baselli. It was the first time that anybody could remember that a television crew brought an ISO camera for an offensive lineman. Well, and he made rare but he made it fun to watch a guy play left tackle yeah, yeah, and you was. know usually you watch an offensive line and you're so coke, i'm gonna get a coke but uh he made it fun to watch he played with a passion for the game everybody, everybody who was there remembers him you know motioning jason taylor to follow him down the field after a big run i mean he was he was a trash talking left tackle made it fun he was also a team leader on this team if you yeah, remember he was the guy who was there after every loss uh Every Monday in the locker room, he was the face of the franchise for seven years. So he made it fun to watch, and apparently he'll make it fun to write this week. Wow, if you say so. (laughs) All right, we're due for our first break here on Jags Drive Time. When we return, Ashland is with us again with more big things. And up ahead, Ozone Snapshot on the week of the Super Bowl as the sun starts to rise over Everbank Field. Back after this in 60 quick seconds. What do you call a pack of Jaguars? A jamboree. The Jacksonville Jaguars want to offer a big thank you to the five local companies who've made the Jaguars jamboree a party that never stops. Everbank, Baptist Health, Dreamfinders Homes, Publix, and U.S. Assure. Each of these partners provides unmatched support and dedication to the team year in and year out and help make game day special. Jaguars fans, join the Jamboree and support these companies and all the partners who support the team. 
Jags fans, experience Everbank Field in an entirely new way. Visit jaguars.com slash tours and book a fully guided behind-the-scenes stadium visit. Hear stories of great plays by Jaguars legends. Get up close and personal with the famous video boards. And see why the Travel Channel named Everbank Field as one of the 15 bucket list destinations for any football fan. Discounts available for children, first responders, and military. Visit jaguars.com slash tours for tickets and complete tales. See you at the bank. Welcome back to Jags Drive Time on our new day, Tuesday mornings. Here with big thing number two, it's priority groups in the offseason. We're looking at a few things here. We got wide receivers, linebackers, offensive linemen, definitely your quarterback situation. That is going to be a major storyline throughout the entire offseason, guys. So what do you think, Ashton? You've been around long enough. What do you say? I think definitely the quarterback situation is going to be their first priority. And you got to think with everything going on with the left tackle, I think the offensive lineman is going to be your next step there. What do you say, John? Um, a quarterback will be the top storyline. I think it remains to be seen if it's going to be the top thing they address, obviously. I don't think it's a guarantee that uh, there are so many moving parts, and we've talked about it so much. I don't know if we're going to go into the details of the quarterback situation right now, but you've got Blake Bortles, uh, who obviously they have to make a decision on by March 14th, and I think it's the decision point that's going to cause this to get real interesting. I think Alex Smith and Kirk Cousins are the two guys everybody's talking about but there are major obstacles to trying to get those two guys money and, and draft picks with, well and risk right meaning if you part ways with blake before march 14th it, there's going to be some moment in time where you're without a starting quarterback and that's including if you go after alex smith because you can technically make a deal for alex smith but that deal can't go through until after the start of the league year so you can think you've got a deal. Stranger things have happened than teams backing out of a deal. So by definition, if you move on from Blake, you're going to have a moment in time this offseason where you're without a starting quarterback and, and that you don't know for sure you're going to get one. So I don't know. Is there a foregone conclusion in this? I mean, do you think that Doug and Tom look at that position and go, that's taken care of? Or do you think, as Doug indicated, they would break this thing back down to the studs like they did last year if not in a physical sense, in a mental sense, looking at the tape, and look at the quarterback, or do you think he earned, in their minds, the ability to come back and be that guy? Oh, I think it's still my sense, and you know Tom far better than I do. My sense is that Tom is going to look at every position. Absolutely. And, you know, figure out, okay, I've got Blake here, so say I think Blake's a seven, for lack of a better thing. You know, can I get to eight? Can I get to seven? You know, it, and I think the deciding factor is if I go out and get somebody else, am I getting to nine compared to a seven or am I getting to 7.1 compared to – if it's 7.1 compared to a seven, then I don't think they do anything because, or I don't think they make a change there because then you say, well, I'm going to have to give up a second and third round pick to right. get X player or I'm going to have to give up this to get this. I have to pay you know, $27, $28 million for – for Kirk Cousins, for example, and have a risk of do I get him or not. So uh, I wish I had a better answer for what I think they're going to do. I can't get a real feel for it. but Well, they don't want you to have a real feel for it at this point. Well, it, correct. Um, so That's not the way they work. Oh, and they never will, and good for them. But uh, I think Blake will be back because 
I just think there's going to be too many moving parts and uncertainty, and the cost for the reward, I think, will be too high. Okay. As you correctly stated, that is the big storyline right. leading up to this. So, you know, we're looking at that starting to uh, to to bubble up, if not now, you know, over the next sure. five weeks. The next priority, right? And whether you can or cannot identify this in free agency or whether you have to wait for the draft, the next priority is... I, I would say... A wide receiver just barely over offensive line, and I think it's probably both. I think they're That's probably equal. you assume that Hearns won't be back and that Lee will get an offer somewhere? Well, and I don't know about Allen Robinson. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that they want him back, but I haven't seen a story that says he's back yet. Right. So I think you're talking about a wide receiver group that might look similar if it's A-Rob, Keelan Cole, and D.D. Westbrook, and – I. I think if it's that, which I do believe it will be at some point, that I still think they're going to want to go get somebody to make D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole earn getting out of the fourth receiver position. I th- you know, uh, And that sounds silly when you look at what those guys did, but when you, when you also think about their inconsistency at times, I th- I've got to think Tom Coughlin's mindset and Doug Marone's mindset is, look, we've got to get better in spots not just be okay in spots. And there's going to be somewhere where they make a splash similar to what they did on the defensive side of the ball last year. So I do wonder if that's not a, whoa, they went after that wide receiver in free agency. Uh, Or, whoa, they went after that tight end in free agency if it's out there. So uh, the offensive line is intriguing to me because I I think, like I I believe you think, both interior guard positions need to be addressed. They need to be upgraded. And what I wonder about is, Right tackle, where Jeremy Parnell played well, you wonder, do they want better than well? Uh, is there a spot where you can upgrade? I think back, I thought they were okay at strong side end a couple of years back, uh, and they were okay with strong side end guy who could rush inside because they had Malik and they had, and they had Tyson, they had Otter, you know, but boy, they wanted to get better at those spots. Is there something in free agency where they can get better than somebody that we think is okay? Here's the other thing. And we haven't had to think this way in a couple of years. Jeremy Parnell's a $6 million guy, mm-hmm. right? This is a draft loaded with tackles. Right. Guys, you can play either right or left. I mean, there's some guys that, like Orlando Brown, mm-hmm. the young man. He's young. He's huge. Uh, for Oklahoma, that played left tackle at a high level in college football, but could play right tackle. Right. Like his old man used to, uh, Zeus Brown. Um, they need to get younger at key positions right. because they need to get cheaper. Because after 18, you start to have to address um, uh, Unique Ngakwe. You've got young defensive talent that you need to They also need to get cheaper, and they need to get, you know, if you have a first-round guy, you're hoping he's a Pro Bowl guy. Sure. You're hoping he elevates you as opposed to just being okay, which I thought the offensive line last year, there were a lot of guys who played okay, played good at times, but frankly, you saw it weren't that consistent at key times, and there were times they didn't get the offensive efficiency they needed because things in the offensive line broke down. Right, right. I mean, all these things have to be considered. That's what we do now leading up over the next couple of months. Back to Ashlyn for Big Thing 3 before our next break. Hey, Ashlyn. Hey, Big Thing number 3 is expectations. We're asking the question, where will the Jaguars be at this point next season? 
Now, I know if you wouldn't ask that locker room that question, they would say they're getting ready for a Super Bowl at this point next season. But with Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson back, a new head coach with the Titans, critics are going to say that's a lot easier said than done. Tougher schedule as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this question, this big thing topic, came out of one of your stories from the Pro Bowl where you were talking to Calais Campbell, and he was essentially talking about expectations mm-hmm. and about where this team thought it would be. Um, it would be easy to say... Well, you're a Super Bowl contender because you were this year. Right. You came within six minutes and 13 seconds of playing in the Super Bowl. Does that automatically return them in your mind to Super Bowl contention in 2018? Does it push them up? Does it? How do you see the expectation? And do we even mention the word, what is a fair expectation? That's what we've talked about in recent years. Could they get to 8-8? Eight eight? Right. Could they break the losing streak? Um. I take a different view on this than a lot of people. I think if you're in the playoffs, you're a Super Bowl contender. Okay. Because So the Buffalo Bills were a Super Bowl contender this year. Well, they had their shot. Okay. Um, now, probably it should be phrased, if you're in the top four teams in your conference, if you're in that divisional uh, playoff round, then you're probably a Super Bowl contender. Uh, you look at the Falcons. They felt like a Super Bowl contender to me. They were in the playoffs, and they yeah. got beat in this. Agree. In the second round, so here's the dialogue, the debate. My thing is, you get in and you give yourself a chance in this league, and if you get the right matchups, if you're healthy and peaking at the right time, then you got a chance to go. So I, th- I think it's very fair to say that the Jaguars should be a playoff team next year. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. If you told fans that they didn't make the playoffs next year, it'd be a disappointment. So once you make it with a young team that's ascending, yes, I think they have to be considered preseason Super Bowl contenders, but. I think the Falcons were considered that. The Panthers were considered that. And when you look back, they probably weren't considered getting very close to that point. So were they contenders? I don't know that it's fair to say you have to get to within a step of the Super Bowl this season as a failure. Because I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers would necessarily say, I think they were contenders. Oh, And didn't get to within a game of it. So I think if you're in that conversation... I think they should be in that conversation all next year. All right. So the contention is you have a more difficult schedule, without a doubt. And I, here's a number that I've been dying to use, right? And I, I, oh, I now's just, your chance. Well, all right. I may just be shoehorning it in, but I think you'd agree the defense was remarkably healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18 games, 11 starting positions. That's 209 possible starts. You put some depth into well, this. I just a little analytics. You got yeah. Tony Conn involved. Uh, I didn't have to. All right. This is very low-level analytics. Okay. The defense had 207 starts by their starters. Right. That's 99.4%. Yeah. Right? That'll never happen again. And, and the two they didn't have were Telvin Smith after the concussion in Arizona against the Colts and the Seahawks, and the Jaguars won both of those games. 99.4% of your starters on one side of the ball, either side, is remarkable. They had that this year. So when you start talking about expectations, you can't reasonably say, well, we'll be healthy. Not, not in this game. No way. Right, not on that level. And to take that theory another step, they had the fortunate of having Paul Pazlesny able to play a lot of Telvin's role, right. an experienced 10-year guy. Exactly. At some point— And Blair Brown stepped in and played well. At some point, your depth, uh, that's what goes away as you start dealing with salary cap issues. I don't think they're going to be at a point where they're dealing with salary cap issues next right. year. But at some point— experience depth is often what goes away first. And they got a little lucky there having 
an experienced guy like Paz be able to play that role for a couple of games. But no, they won't be as healthy next year. It's it it defies reason to have done what they did this year. And I uh, it started to run out on them a little bit at the end of the championship game, if you recall, where you were like, oh, if they have one more game. Yeah. It's well, Marcel dicey, so. and uh, and Miles Jack both left the field in consecutive plays right. at the end of the ball game there. So, all right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Ozone Snapshot from Ashland is next. This is Jags Drive Time on TuneIn Radio. Back in 60 seconds. Jags fans, experience Everbank Field in an entirely new way. Visit jaguars.com slash tours and book a fully guided behind-the-scenes stadium visit. Hear stories of great plays by Jaguars legends. Get up close and personal with the famous video boards. And see why the Travel Channel named Everbank Field as one of the 15 bucket list destinations for any football fan. Discounts available for children, first responders, and military. Visit jaguars.com slash tours for tickets and complete tales. See you at the bank. What do you call a pack of Jaguars? A jamboree. The Jacksonville Jaguars want to offer a big thank you to the five local companies who've made the Jaguars Jamboree a party that never stops. Everbank, Baptist Health, Dreamfinders Homes, Publix, and U.S. Assure. Each of these partners provides unmatched support and dedication to the team year in and year out and help make game day special. Jaguars fans, join the Jamboree and support these companies and all the partners who support the team. Happy to have you back with us on Jags Drive Time. Here with you with some Ozone snapshots. First one, Paul from Jacksonville. One of my biggest concerns at the start of last season was left tackle. Talk about worrying about nothing. Yeah, and uh, I include this because Cam Robinson was sort of a source of debate at the end of the season among people. Uh, there are people who thought, boy, what a great draft pick, played great. There are also people who said, boy, he really struggled at the end of the season. And I think both can be true. Uh, it seemed like he played very, very well early when healthy. And then after a while, some injuries sort of caught up with him. And I thought he struggled a little bit at the end of the season. From talking to Tony Baselli about him, he thinks that he is going to be a very, very good player and that he has a lot of work to do in terms of some fundamentals. And I think that's probably accurate in terms of he has all the potential and all the things that you can't teach. There's no reason to think, Brian, you've talked to him as much as I have. From talking to him, I get the impression that he's a guy who will take a big second-year jump because he seems to care about it. And I think if you have the ability along with the caring about it, I think he will improve dramatically in his second year and be more consistent. Yeah, I, right on with you. If you remember, he injured the ankle on the first series against the Colts in late October. Right. And so he struggled with that and missed some practice periodically from time to time. He tweaked it here and there throughout the course of the season. But I remember him standing in the locker room talking about playing the next week. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Colts was the bye week. But two weeks later, getting on the field against the Bengals, and he looked, he says, that's what we do. Right. I'll be ready to play. He gets it. I he is a, a natural pro. Absolutely. And that natural pro obviously is an extension of, you know, who his parents raised, but playing for Nick Saban sure. at Alabama. I think he gets it. Here's the other thing I think he gets. I think he gets that there needs to be more leadership on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. It can't be just Brandon Linder, who was the leader. Everyone else was a follower this right. year, right? He, they need more from him up front. So I would expect him to be a regular participant here throughout the offseason, yeah. both working with Tom Islinski and in the training room, getting stronger and bigger and faster. Um, and I do think you're right. I, I think at the end of that game against the Patriots, 
James Harrison, who's 39 mm-hmm. years old and former All-Pro, I, I thought he took advantage of him. I thought there were some plays. Well, he hurt his shoulder early in that game. Right? I remember. So. I do remember. And I'm not, But you could see that Harrison was using his veteran guile and mm-hmm. cunning and having been in those situations before right. against him. Hey, he went. he came off the field. I was standing there. And the arm was limp, and I thought, uh-oh, right. he's hurt. And he was, but he, there was never a doubt in his mind, because right. I heard him talking, that he was going back into the game, and he did. And he played and I hard, think and he played well. that's the that will serve him well as he became, you know, it's so tough. People f- see these guys, and because they play Madden and because they see him on TV, they think that they're just little chips running around. They are human beings, and it's tough to adapt as a rookie, and... I, I thought Cam was as veteran and as pro as a rookie as you could possibly be. But then when you add that with really becoming a veteran, really figuring out how to work, I think the fact that he had no qualms ever about going back in the game Never. with small injuries, et cetera, et cetera, was going to play no matter what. He's already got that stuff, and when you pile on the other veteran stuff, he's going to be a good player. Well, one more thing. Um as he walked off the field during training camp, I mean, he grabbed Tony Baselli, and he was always trying to pull something out of you know, a future Hall of Fame player. Right? I thought he was just trying to get Tony to leave. So, <laughs> no. um, And I think if you went and asked Tony, you know, how often did you interact with Luke Jokel? Right. Uh, not all that much. Right. Not, you know, I mean, those guys, uh, Eugene Monroe, not all that much. Right. Those were guys that didn't want all that. Uh, but this is a hungry kid who understands what it means to be a pro. So good stuff for him, and uh, his future looks bright. Ashlyn. All right, final ozone snapshot. TC from Kingsland, Georgia, and section 114. Jags still have one thing to cheer about this year. Let's all pull for Tony Baselli. Yeah, and as much as I, Joe, I mean, I've known Tony for 20 years. I consider him a good friend. I hope this is the year he gets in. I think it is the year he gets in. He certainly deserves it. As I said before, there's no villain here if five other guys get in, but. He certainly deserves it. I think his time has come. He's waited long enough, and let's hope that's what I'm right. So what are we going to see from you from Minneapolis? Well, just some quality writing, Brian. Whenever you uh, feel like no. it, or I mean, uh, people shouldn't expect it? Well, uh, tomorrow I believe we're going to have Tony on in some live capacity tomorrow. And then at, as the week goes on, what we did last year is I tried to catch up with as many voters as I could, as many really good voters as I could and really try to get a feel for what they thought the dynamics of the process were going to be. There's not that much to ask Tony. He's going to say, well, I'm, I'm nervous about it. I hope I get in. So talking to the voters about the process and about what their thoughts are, you do get a better feel as it draws closer of what his chances are. All right. So uh, tomorrow, Jaguars.com live emanating from here Thursday with John and Tony Baselli and coverage throughout the weekend. And, of course, all of us are hopeful that our friend Tony Baselli becomes the Jaguars' first Hall of Famer this weekend. Good luck to you, Tony. So for John Osher, Ashlyn Sullivan, Jumpin' Joe Fortunato, and Patrick Cavanaugh, that'll do it. Jags drive time now on Tuesdays through the offseason, 8.30 time. Look forward to seeing you right there, Everbank Field, via social media and tune in radio next Tuesday. <laughs>